What's up, everybody? My name is Lee. Some of you guys might know me as Intuition, and you're tuned into Kinda Neat. Thank you guys again for tuning in, as always. Uh, like I said, we're back. It's fucking the second week of April now, and if everything is going smooth, then I will have announced that my album is available for presale and that the date it's coming out is April 29th. If it's not going smooth, then ignore everything I just said. But I'm sure that everything is going to go smooth and that's going to be the plan. First things first, at It's Intuition, follow me on Twitter. Follow my man, Ben Shin, behind the boards, making the shit sound buttery, at I am database, space with two S's. Follow us as a unit at That's Kinda Neat on Twitter, youtube.com slash That's Kinda Neat. We don't have a video this week. But that's okay. Go back and watch last week's episode with uh, Anderson Pack, whereupon he murdered a song called Suede. And uh, what else? Facebook.com slash kind of neat. Facebook.com slash it's intuition. I never shot that one out, but you can follow me on there too. I'm pretty active on it. Download the podcast app. Download the podcast app to your phone. Everybody asks me, wait, how do you listen to podcasts? You just go to the website? Nah, man. Download it on your phone and then you can stream it whenever you're in your car. You can listen to it on your radio. You know, you can listen to it while, with headphones while you're at the gym. That's the easiest way. Download the podcast app. Subscribe to Kinda Neat. Rate us five stars. Leave a comment about who you want to see on the show or just give Ben props for how buttery he makes it sound always. Just do that. Make your life easier. Like I just said... My album is finally ready. The duplication process is has started. I've got a pre-order package available. Uh, hopefully it's still available. I'm only going to limit it to 100, so they might already be sold out. If life is good, they're already sold out. But uh, yeah, 100 packages where you can get a t-shirt, autographs, CD, a poster, a couple stickers shipped right to your doorstep. So go order that. If not, Order it on iTunes when it comes out. It's called Intuition and Equilibrium. It's just a self-titled record. It's the one we've been working on for three years now. And uh, I'm sorry that it took so long, but we're really happy with how it came out. The artwork is cool. The fucking stickers are cool. The posters are cool. I'm really happy with everything and um, very thankful for everyone that was involved with it. I'm glad you guys have been patiently waiting. And, um, you know, I appreciate it. I hope you guys check it out. Uh, I don't want to make this too much about that, though, because I feel like we might be having a new audience tuning in today. And whenever we have a new audience tuning in, they're always like, oh, well, the interviewer is such a fucking douche. That's OK. You can fast forward past this part. When you hear a beat, that's when you know the interview is going to start. So anyhow, this week we have on Christian Clancy, one of the managers of Odd Future. And I've been a big fan of this dude. I've been a big fan of Odd Future in general. Just watching how they've blown up over the last three or four years has been amazing to watch from the outside. And in the early days of Odd Future, watching them made me feel like I was a junior high kid falling in love with rap again just because there was a certain energy to it and there was a certain punk rock aesthetic that just was exciting again it made me feel i know that they hate the comparison but it made me feel like i was watching wu-tang again in seventh grade you know what i mean it was kind of this you know fuck everything attitude that was very refreshing and um in doing so i think that they've kind of reinvented how the music industry works they give away all their music for free they sell shit tons of merch you know they mention it they they sell more in socks than most people sell in record sales it's pretty crazy to, to watch and so i i've been wanting to do this interview for quite some time i was actually right on the verge of getting an interview with him on um knock steady back in the day uh before things went a different direction and so i'm excited now to have him finally on the show and have a conversation with him and it went great uh he's a really cool dude he's got a got a good aura about him he's just kind of sagely and has i think there's a lot that can be learned from watching people like him do the business that they do and just even with how they treat people i think uh you know there's something to be said for people that keep it really real and i think in this conversation you'll see that the dude keeps it super real and i had a good time talking to him so without further ado 
I'm not going to make this intro too, too long because the, the interview ran really nice and long. Um, this is my man, Christian Clancy on Kind of Neat. Thank you guys for tuning in. Is it one of those? Letting it go a little bit lately, but I recently had it trimmed today because mm-hmm. it was I was getting a homeless vibe, yeah. and I, I had some real kind of stragglies. Yeah. So uh, I've been getting my hair cut by the same guy for 15 years, yeah. every two weeks on a Tuesday, Jay Diola, and uh, he gave me a nice little trim. I'm feeling it. Yeah, it looks I like go it. in and out of you know facial hair. Is it one of those things where your daughter's never going to see your bare face? Uh, you know, the longer you have a beard. The weirder you look without it, yeah, right? Like sure. it's like like I've done that before, and like the, the thing with a beard is it makes your chin f- appear much further down yeah. than it actually is. So yeah. people have this concept of the mold of your face, right? Right. And even you do because yeah. you've looked at yourself with kind of this long chin, and uh, when you're exposed to yourself beardless, it's it takes a minute. You're like, like where the fuck did I you get look this in the mirror? Like I'm not a big mirror guy, yeah, yeah. but I'll look at myself for a good twenty minutes trying to figure out what's going on. Right, right. I'm probably not going to be beardless anytime soon. I like it. Plus, it also makes you appear wise. It does, even though it, you don't need to be. Right. Your, your, your IQ goes up a little bit if you wear it with a flannel. Yeah, it really works. No, yeah, you definitely have a wise man look going on today. Yeah. It's all bo- complete and utter bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> I was just out in Australia and our kind of like liaison down there was – had this beard that he'd been working on for a year that was like down to his chest. I, I respect that. It was looking good and, I, and it kind of inspired me and I'm letting mine go too. So I want to go – I don't know. I don't I, – you know, I, I, I don't think my wife would be too into the, the Rick Rubin. Um, yeah. I don't know if I could do that. I, think I get impatient I, with yeah, it. Yeah. It, there's weird stages. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. But 15 years going to the same barber, you got a strong hairline still. Lucky you. And I tell you, all this is um, uh, uh, hand done. He doesn't use a. a no a buzz? Shave, no, 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 no shavers. Really? Yeah. Because that looks buzz cut. Nope. Wow. Nope. That's all a, hand that's, done. That's, that's impressive. My guy. I, I've, I went one other place once and I'll never do it again. No Because I got the full on like Marine look thing and. Nothing against the Marines. I just don't didn't want like the number two side with like yeah. the didn't work. Give him a shout out. Where's he at? JDO at good form. He's epic. He's amazing. There you go. He if cuts you everyone's hair. hair he needs your haircut. He don't even need a shout out. Yeah, Jay, yeah. Jay's killing it. Yeah. How long you we have that barbershop banter too? Nice. Like, like you know he he know Jay knows everything. Jay's a wise man. How long you been an Eagles fan, man? My whole life. Yeah. Yeah, my whole life. I was bo- I, I was born in Philly. Um, I was actually born in Scranton, a couple hours out of Philly. I yeah, moved yeah, to Philly I when I was five. Scranton's where uh, the office. Yeah, the office exactly. Um, my mom is from out in Easton. You know, Easton, Pennsylvania. Kind of, yeah, it's right on the Jersey border. Yeah, yeah. So I grew up an Eagles fan back when like Randall Cunningham was he, the man. He was awesome. Yeah, I haven't followed football in quite a few years, but that was my that was my team. That's my sport. Like I, I don't, I, you know, life is busy enough, and then having a kid. Um, I take sports off the rest of the year, but the Eagles I take dead fucking serious. Yeah, I follow you on Twitter, and you get pretty pretty intense with the Eagles tweets. Yeah, I fucks with it though. It's good to have a passion outside yeah. of your other passions. It's a release. Yeah, I, I, the, I actually I think I've actually lined up in front of my television a few times. I get pretty into it, but I've I've learned that for a long time I used to let a loss affect me for an extended period of time. It would <laughs> yeah, actually yeah. fuck my vibe up for yeah. two to three days post, no shit. which is kind of weird and, and silly. And I had this kind of moment of clarity one day where I'm like, wait a minute. I don't play for the Philadelphia Eagles. Right. Yeah. And I'm bummed on day three after 
what might have been a meaningless loss, yeah, right? Yeah. And I said, you know what? I'm going to cut that shit out and really just focus on when it's positive and then try to let the negative go. And it clicked. That seems like a good route to go. I mean, at that yeah. point, you have to wonder if even the players are still bummed after three no, days. You know what I mean? No. Yeah, it's just it got, this was a long time ago. Yeah. But I do get pretty passionate. I just yeah. want one ring in my life. I'm 43 years old. I want one fucking ring. It'd be nice. I just want one ring. Yeah. I don't want two rings. I don't want three rings. I want one ring. And I'm going to make myself a fucking ring and I'm going to wear it because <laughs> I deserve it just as much as any motherfucker on that just team. Take us to Period. the promised land once one time yeah, i'm good that's i'm not great. greedy born in philly how long did you stay there i left when i was 13 what was philly like back then uh well i moved to arizona it was the exact opposite of arizona yeah um philly was philly has a bad rep like it's kind of dangerous nowadays was it like that uh, back then? segregated yeah. right i kind of lived right at the border between white and black it was yeah. like um i lived on Lawrence street but i, I can't I'm, I'm, I don't have the best memory in the right. world, but kind of right on the border where like it was the black neighborhood and the white neighborhood and like very Irish Catholic, very uh, church based mm-hmm. neighborhoods were by parish as opposed to. Um, but, you know, the great thing about Philly was I had grown up being used to going to a place where all my friends were. No one had to hit each other. There was I mean, there was no uh, iPhones or anything, yeah. but like everyone just went to this one area and hung. All day. What was right? the area about? Uh, Sula Street. Yeah. It was just a street near my house, and you'd go there, and I'd have we, you know, thirty friends, and that's where we just like playing football and baseball, yeah, and shit, hanging out, f- fucking off, yeah. hanging out, you know, sneaking cigarettes and, right. and 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 sipping a beer now and again, being you know uh, little rebellious kids, right, and then right. also playing spin the bottle and like, stupid shit. Of like, course, of course. And uh, that's what I probably you know I had. Uh, I love that. I love that you could just wake up and go somewhere and you knew there right. was – like everyone was just – no one had to communicate. You just right. go there. Sound like uh, a small neighborhood vibe? Yeah, but it was a rough – not like, not rough, uh, you know, not rough relative to many standards. But it, yeah, it was it was, it was was definitely heading in the wrong direction. My mom went to get me out of there, um, which at the time I wasn't too hip on because I think I had just felt my first boob and I was super <laughs> into that. And uh, making the transition to Arizona. Do you remember Arizona. what the soundtrack was to feeling your first boob? I don't think there was any music playing. Uh, I wouldn't have heard it. I was so fascinated. I, I was, I'm, yeah, I'm like so I blacked proud. Of, out. I'm so proud of myself that the soundtrack to me feeling my first hit was um, Big Papa. I just think amazing, that's, right? Amazing. Couldn't, couldn't do better for a soundtrack for that. Amazing. Yeah. So in West, yeah. Mo- in West it was Philly, a head up the shirt boob. So it was a full like like wow. yeah like whoa more just in a am- just amazed yeah that's anyway. great. So yeah, and so uh, my mom moved to um, Arizona, 130 degrees. Yeah, uh, completely different kind of lifestyle way of living. In, in retrospect, mom, I love you. Amazing move, right move, 100 percent. Because I would have wound up just to you know doing something stupid. Um, and uh, I wasn't necessarily going the right direction. So, but at the time, I wasn't really feeling it. Right, right. You would know? just hit like seventh or eighth grade. Eighth grade. Eighth yeah. grade. And, that's, that's and then a, I realized chicks liked my Philly accent because I had a really thick one, which oh, I yeah. wish I still had because yeah. it was really cool and rocky like. Yeah. And uh, it's completely gone. Um, but yeah, I mean, it worked out. You know, I yeah. mean, it, it, it's it's just hot, so you, you know. Arizona's fine. Were your folks together when they moved or when you moved? My folks got divorced when I was five. When you were five, you used to keep in touch with your dad or no? My dad's one of my best friends on the planet. Oh, cool. That's yeah. great. Not necessarily that we, we've had we've had a tumultuous uh Yeah, of course. I'm not without dad issues, but the dad issues have been resolved. Yeah, yeah. Which is a blessing, right? Like that it is. usually doesn't happen and then you're left with that and you know. Yeah. I'm um, going through that. 
<laughs> yeah, I, 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 we, I had an opportunity to deal with him. Yeah, that's good. And, uh, you know, my dad was, uh, my dad's been sober for, I don't know, a very long time, probably 25 years. Uh-huh. And he grew up kind of a party guy and completely flipped and has his life together and lives in Aspen. And, you know, oh, that's he, he's awesome. But is he from Philly too? Yes. Does he stay in Philly after you guys moved to Arizona? My dad used to travel around a lot because he sold real estate. So okay. wherever the land was, there'd yeah. be like a track of land, right? And then, and then uh, he was a really good salesman, so they yeah. would kind of he would go to wherever the land was and sell it and party and yeah. make money and then go to the next place, do it up all over. Yeah. Again. What yeah. did mom do? Mom, um, my mom in Philly worked at a place called Stitches, which was just a retail store. She ran it. It was mm-hmm. like I think she did everything, like the buyer, the. You know, my mom was tight. She mm-hmm. she. she I had a cool mom. She, um, my parents went to Woodstock. Oh, wow. Um, I was actually conceived close to Woodstock. I wish I could say I was somehow conceived at Woodstock because <laughs> that would be so sick. That and I wish it. that could be like one of those white lie joints that you can get away with. But I can't because it's just not true and I'm a shit liar. But right, it was right. close. Yeah. It was close. It was like the week after. They were still yeah. hungover from it. And then my mom moved Arizona. What did she do in Arizona? I, I don't remember what the job was in Arizona. Yeah. And then she worked at Disney. Then she moved to L.A. Um, uh, and then I followed suit. Like my, I wound up kind of having my own place, like almost my senior year of high school because my parents moved to California. I didn't want to leave my senior year. Yeah. I, I'm partying. I'm having a great time. Right. I, I think I had a girl at the time. Like I, I had no interest in, in changing for my senior year. Yeah. Right. Like I, that was the, why Arizona? Like what was out there? She was seeing uh, uh, my stepdad, oh, okay. who she's been with forever. Greg, he's awesome, amazing. He was like a sixty minutes producer that they actually met in Aspen and have this cool long history and have been together ever since. And they're like, are actually like the perfect couple. They're like just happy all the time. Oh yeah, and, you know. Well, it's dope that you have two positive male influences, man. Like it's yeah, good. absolutely. I like when I hear the stories about like, oh yeah, I got a stepdad and he's awesome because most times, people yeah, are like, oh my stepdad is a fucking asshole. I mean, they've both gone through their shit. Of course, I'm not saying per- uh, perfection. Like right. none of us are. I mean, my dad was the, he wasn't. It he admittedly so. Again, I could talk about it because it's resolved. Right. But he, my, I know that my dad did the best he could at that time. Yeah. You know? and, and my stepdad had. At his yeah, moments. absolutely, absolutely. You know, so one of the like first adjectives you used when we started talking was rebellious. You're like, we would go there to be rebellious. Was that something early on with you? Because I associate you with like rebellious music in general. Yeah, I've always, I've always, uh, I, I think mostly. You know, that stuff kind of becomes therapeutic. Like one of the biggest riffs against OF is that they're feeding aggression but the truth is you're actually relieving Rele- aggression. releasing it yeah for and sure. it, it's really perspective and if you're not in it you don't really understand that because it just looks like aggression right, right. but the truth is it's like therapy so mm-hmm. for me you know again i don't want to get too caught up on dad issues yeah. i had a lot of dad dad issues yeah. that that i felt relief in aggressive music but not because i wanted to sock somebody in the mouth just it was just like a release, you know. Yeah. Like, and, and so because you have you're polite all week and you need some time to let it out. Or yeah, something, you know, everyone needs a little fuck you. It's, yeah. it, it's I think uh, yeah. actually the people who don't that's probably better. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, but I mean, yeah, I, I I've always been attracted to uh, uh, aggressive stuff. Yeah, I like it. I like the energy. Right, right. You know, I also listen to fucking James Taylor. You know, so I'm all over the place. Right, you know, right. I'm, I'm I'm going through an Elton John thing right now. Really? But, you know, yeah. Nice. Oh yeah. 
So nice. I'm, I don't live in aggression for sure. I mean, my favorite artist is probably Fiona Apple. Okay. So I'm all over the place. Yeah, for sure. Did you have hustles as a kid? Because I would imagine that you're a hard worker and that has to stem from something. Uh, did I have hustles? Man, I wish I had a cool story, but I don't. Yeah. Um, no, no hustles. Uh, I was just trying. Honestly, I was, I was, I, I was just trying to party. Yeah. I went through. I, I got my partying out very young. Really. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I just wanted to party. Everything was focused around getting me to party. What age was that starting? Already by the, by the time you left. Thirteen. Really? Yeah. That's when the beers and the titties started coming out. Yeah. I, I, uh, I smoked more. My mom's gonna hate this, <laughs> you know, but yeah, it's not her fault in any way, shape, or form. Put your I, I just on, moved man. to fucking Arizona, and, yeah. and 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 the people I were meeting, this is what was going on. So I became a product of the environment. Of I probably smoked more pot when I was thirteen than any year of my life, and. Southern Comfort and Dr. Pepper and Mad Dog 2020. Of course. And Peppermint Schnapps and Everclear, which was a motherfucker. Wow. Yeah. Everclear isn't so popular anymore, but I heard that back in the day, like people used to cut holes out of a watermelon, pour in Everclear, let it sit in the fridge overnight, and then just eat that and get fucked. Yeah. 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 That sounds like a good time. It's a terrible drink. I mean, it burns like it's just terrible. Like drinking and rubbing alcohol. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you take to school at all, or were you just kind of like the partying started and you're like, fuck Did school? I take to school? Um, were you I, into it? Nah. <laughs> I, I, no. I always kind of felt like um, I was much more into life experience. You know, edu- education's a weird thing, right? It's like Agreed. being told what to, you know, I just had this conversation today how, like, I have this conversation all the time, but like where I was growing up, it's like, here's what you learn. Here's what you believe. And here's how your life's going to go. You're going to do this. You're going to go to college. You're going to marry. You're going to have two kids. You're going to, you know, and then these, the past generations fucking have Google. Yeah. Right. And access to information and, and, and are at the tipping point of kind of challenging all that shit. Right. And saying, fuck, why? I don't need, you know, mm-hmm. we're learning this. Like everything's at that weird spot. So did I take the school? No, it, it interfered with partying. There were classes I liked. Um, I was in, uh, I was interested in learning. It wasn't that I wasn't interested in learning. It's just that school. I was a class clown, complete yeah, yeah. class clown. Right. And I cheated constantly, <laughs> and I hardly ever did homework. In fact, I don't actually remember doing homework in high school. But I wasn't stupid. Right. So. Um, yeah, bored. Somebody who could get by with a wink and a smile a lot of the time. I wanted to learn something else. Right. Yeah, I, I didn't understand why I'm learning all this. It's like it's just memorization. What did you want to learn? Uh, shit. F- great question because it stumped me because I, I basically would just part. I, I don't know. I would. I would. What was I interested in back then? I was actually mostly interested in music. Yeah, to be honest with you, I love guitar class. Well, I, you know, uh, here's a theory that I've been developing: is like when I hear about people that are that um, are hard partiers that then go on to be successful business mm-hmm. people, I feel like what they're teaching themselves is really social relations because. The more that I age and the more that I see my friends that are successful versus my friends that aren't, mm-hmm. it's the ones that have really fucking strong ties with people and are the guys that you'd want to go out and have a beer with. Those are yeah. the ones that seem to make the deals and be the movers and shakers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think to an extent, the yeah, the it's relation, it's all relationships. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and the ability to communicate and be honest. Like I'm a guy who just 
the authentic work is is super played out and cheesy and cliche like but I, you know if, if it's just so much easier life is so much easier that way yeah you're just honest and uh and and when you're honest you wind up connecting with people because they like that and then you get honesty out of them and then you have a connection then you're able to get shit done you're yeah. able to kind of tune into each other as far as ideas and stuff like that otherwise it's about getting the agenda or someone getting over on you i always right. try to approach all that type of stuff with kind of a common ground so you can build up as opposed to i get into weird psychology shit like that no, i'm so. down we got a lot of time to blow so you can get as weird no, no, no i love that well i love that stuff it, yeah. it's it you know we all write in our own book period uh-huh. right so it's like you people are so much more in control than they think. It just matters how much their brain gets in the fucking way. Right. Right. Like right. You're, you're just so much more in control than, than most people realize. But you know, things like dad issues and stuff tend to cloud and right. You know, drugs or whatever the fuck else you got or whatever issue you got going on. And then there's different layers of that that get in the way of you actually just intuitively. Right, being. right. Anyway. Were you an athletic kid? Did you play sports in school if it wasn't academics? I played intramural basketball and I was on the ski team. On the ski team? In Arizona. Where is there ski yes. in Arizona? Um, we would go on trips to Colorado and compete. That we sounds would go like to, trouble in and of itself. Absolutely. Lots of mushrooms. Hell yeah. Had some of my favorite times. Amazing. I fucking bet. awesome. In the woods um, out there. Yeah, the best. The ski team was awesome. Uh, and I played intramural basketball. Uh, our team was something relating to being stoners. Um, <laughs> and we were decent. I, am I athletic? I, I, I love, uh, I played like flag football for like eight years and like a, um, played in a bunch of tournaments. I, am I athletic? Yeah, a little bit. Right. Nothing to speak of. Were you skating or anything like that back in the day? He, no. 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 Yeah. I can't skate for shit. Yeah, same. Uh, the culture is really cool, and I, I've always been interested. And I would be kind of the poser dude wearing the independent shirt yeah. that couldn't skate a lick. But that, hey, I like the way it looked. But also, skate videos beyond being amazing to watch, they always have the best music in them too. Yeah, absolutely. So many people come on the show and they're like, "Yeah, I got into skating, and that's how I got into music." I've learned more about skating from these guys yeah, I than I have that. than anything. I mean, right, right. I, lo- I just you know, I, skating to me was supreme. You know, but I didn't skate. I just bought supreme. Right, right. Okay, so you get out. You're getting out of high school, and mom moves to LA. You're already living on your own, and mm-hmm. pretty much it sounds like you just like to party at that time. Yep, what killing the, it. What uh, the, it. Mow what, it. What were the plans, though? Uh, keep partying. Yeah. Um, uh, mow it. Truck with fucking forty four inch Mickey Thompson tires, roll bar, KC lights, Alpine system. Like white trash on acid. You were, you were really on some killing Arizona it. Shit. Um, lived with a guy who was dealing some stuff. Uh, he well, he had moved into that apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I got all this out of the way. I mean, I, you know, it, it'll get it'll get positive. Um, uh, you know, so typical you bullshit: punching holes in walls, getting in fights, being stupid. You must have been kind of hot shit at the high school, having your own spot senior year or something. Like, th- did that become the congregation no, place? I, d- I definitely wasn't hot shit in high school. I think I, I was just kind of cool with everyone. Yeah, yeah, a chameleon of sorts. Yeah. yeah, I wasn't. You know, I partied, but you know, our little clique of friends. I don't know what we were. I don't know. Like, some. Yeah, we were just kind of cool with everyone. Right. Yeah. Then what? Harder drugs come into play. Yes. Yeah. Um, had a rough run in with Coke for a couple of years. Coke in my high school was everywhere. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't uh, unique. It's not like, you know, to give perspective, like ev- everyone did blow. Mm-hmm. And I had always promised myself I wouldn't do blow. This is what, late 80s? 
Yeah, 80, 80, I was in high school, 84 through 88. So that's like the height of Coke, pretty much. Coke was kicking then, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, uh, I promised I would never do it because um, I had just been around it too much in my life. Yeah. And uh, I um, put a little thing in my in my uh, called a nummy with yeah, your gums, yeah. your gums. Yeah. and i'm like i need more of this shit immediately it's, that's the thing I, I used to tell myself i would never do it too but it's so much fun once you smell it that first time yeah so. I, I yeah the first the first couple times are amazing and um but it, it also for me became ultimately again i'm a chapter not a book guy so this happened to be a bad chapter yeah. but but is a good chapter because it needed to happen to get to the to the, to the positive, but I, it helped, it helped me hit uh, a dark place quick. Um, it's, you know, cocaine's like Las Vegas. I mean, it's like, it's just, e- it's all ego. It's all me. It's all like you, your spirit just goes away. It's yeah. just all of it's me and more. And, and, you know, so when you're doing it all every day, uh, I, I it's what led me to leave Arizona cause I had to get out of the environment. And, um, and I moved to LA to be a rock star because I was playing guitar and I wasn't really that good. But when you do that much coke, it's you think you're. You think tight. you sound amazing. Yeah, yeah. I have not been around it since. Yeah. Um, well, I, a little bit in LA, and then I, I, I dealt with all that, and then um, but haven't been around. Wouldn't I? I, I, I I'm very. I'm not a big cocaine fan. Yeah. I just know what it did to me. It ruins people. Yeah. Uh, oftentimes. So you, you pick up a guitar and you move to LA. Like, did you move in with your folks? Yes. Yeah. And it, did they see that there was a, some problems going on? Or uh, yeah, probably. But I think my mom was still a little bit in the, you know, my, you know, my mom went to Woodstock. So my mom probably looked at it from the standpoint that, yeah, he's going through shit. I hid everything. So mm-hmm. it's like what she saw probably became more prevalent in my actions when I moved to LA and mm-hmm. I went to the Guitar Institute of Technology. Um, and, um, and was like planning on being a rock star. Yeah. But, you know, kind of delusionally. What do you learn at the Guitar Institute of Technology? How to be Yingwei Malmsteen. I don't, that you probably have no idea who that, that is. is. He's uh, like, he was this crazy guitar player that did shit really fast back then that everyone okay. was trying to be. I was a hardcore Eddie Van Halen fan. Like, Van Halen for me was epic in high school. Like, fucking epic. Yeah. Van Halen, Iron Maiden, Metallica. Guns and Roses. Hell I mean, yeah. f- I was all in. Yeah, was um, was that scene still going on on Sunset when you when you got? Yes. Yeah. Gazaris, which was like the the metal spot. Um, yeah, all that and and that guitar instance technology is wasn't the best place to go for someone trying to get off coke. Uh-huh. Uh, surprisingly enough, yeah, at that time. And then I got deep into it again, and then went away to deal with it. Yeah, and haven't seen it since. Nice. And stopped playing guitar. <laughs> 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 Once you got clear-headed, you realized, like, yeah, this is. I think some of my shit got stolen. Yeah, um, and I just came to the realization that it just nah, yeah, it's not it. Yeah, I wish because I, I've spent. I was a guy who would would sit in front of the mirror when I was a kid and sing Kiss songs and like Zeppelin, Zeppelin Two. I think was my first album, and I would air guitar like right. all yeah, right, hardcore. Right. When you're a kid, those people seem like gods, like particularly when you're from, like time. out in the sticks, you know what I mean? And then you move to L.A. and you kind of realize like, oh, wait, these are like human beings yeah. and, and you start seeing them around and shit. Like, yeah. I mean, most of my idols were kind of, you know, more in the music world and that and, and Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. I really – I stuck to my lanes. Yeah, for sure. You know what I mean? So you go to kick the habit and then like do you have like a spiritual awakening when you're in there? Like you come out with like a new – I don't know. like 100 percent. Changed yeah. my life. Smartest thing I ever did. Yeah. I, um, uh, I needed some structure and I needed some 
time to assess my life and where it was going and what I was doing and who the fuck am I? And you can't do that when you're cloudy headed. It doesn't mm-hmm. happen. So um, I had a lot of quiet time and you work out and I wanted to get the fuck out of there for the first two weeks. You know, you had to wear these, this kind of hospital robe thing and uh-huh. I was constantly trying to figure out ways to get out and convince myself that this is silly and blah, blah, blah. And I stuck it out and it was the, the pro- probably the best thing I ever did because it I needed that time to just, you know, shut my brain off. Yeah. You know, so when, you when go, your brain's in control, you're fucked. Uh-huh. So, so what do you rely on then? Your instinct, your gut. I'm an intuition guy. I did way different than gut. Gut has dad issues attached to it. Intuition uh-huh. is clean. Okay. Gut is George Bush. Yeah. Right. Uh, intuition is clean with before any emotional right because we all have reasons why we make decisions that are to, pre- to protect our ego uh-huh. or fear whatever the fuck it is again i don't want to get deep but i think that um yeah my rap name is intuition i'm about to sample all of that that yeah. whole speech no i think that that's gps i mean i, I you know I, I think that that's why med- meditation i read something really cool the other day that someone said that that you know they were referencing prayer versus meditation mm-hmm. and what prayer was a meditation was was you know kind of listening to god whatever your concept of god was uh-huh. and then it pays out by strengthening your intuition and it's like that's really what it's all about it's like it gives you when you meditate and calm your mind it gives you the ability to understand what intuition even is because you're clean otherwise you're just stuck in your head 24 hours a day right somewhere else yeah right? do you meditate a lot not nearly enough i do yoga Hot yoga, which I fucking love, and it's the single greatest thing in my uh, as far as keeping myself um, healthy and in a good place. I, I would say yoga more than anything. So wait, are you like besties with Russell Simmons? Like it's no, because like, no, I but he's it. he's in the same class all, uh, a lot. No I, shit. I, yeah, I've been, I, we've met a couple times. I was gonna say I hear him talk about like meditation and hot yoga. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. He's a lot of times in the class. No shit. Yeah. So when you come out of rehab, like, what's the – and you're back at the drawing board, like, what, what's the – I went to – my family's in TV production. I went to uh, uh, work at just kind of various odd jobs. Mm-hmm. I, I – um, my uh, uncle uh, was a cameraman and he shot various things and, my, and he, I would help him with sound. And the first job – I think it was the first job I did with him was to put a mic on Cindy Crawford upper shirt. And God if you understand damn. what that means for a kid at that time, and my <laughs> hand was shaking like a motherfucker because oh you had to put the God. mic on. Yeah. Right? Cool, random shit like that. I wound up editing for Primetime Live in 2020 because my uh, uncle used to do the undercover work for these new shows, and I learned how to edit. And because it was just kind of in my family, yeah. right? And you know, I'm making sixty bucks an hour and clear headed, and you know, wow. and uh, and then. Um, and this is at what, like 2021, 20, something like that. Yeah. I went to Boulder somewhere in between all of this. Yeah. Um, which was another amazing experience. Boulder is one of my favorite places on the planet Earth. I think I became a man in Boulder um, because it got me out of L.A. and the L.A. kind of fucking thing yeah. just because people just aren't caught up in Boulder. So it was – again, it helped my clarity. And then out of nowhere, uh, I've always wanted to be in the record business. All my friends were in the record business. They were starting to be in oh, – I, I just wanted to be in music. That's yeah. all I ever really wanted well, to do. Well, how were your friends drove. in the record business? Was it guys you met at the I had a friend, Nino Cuccinello, who still works at Interscope. Uh-huh. Um, um, in promotion, he's awesome, and he used to, we used to play basketball on the weekends. And he'd always show up. What he'd be mad? I said, uh, roll up with a wad of cash. Mm-hmm. Like 
it wasn't just the record business. It was the whole concept of it. And like a couple of my friends were working at Interscope um, and I was editing and one of my fr- – a good friend of mine that I don't see enough, Darren Wolf, I think got me an internship with Glenn, uh, at MCA Records. But at the same day uh, I was there, the head of country music, Diana Flaherty, was needed an assistant in the distribution arm. Mm-hmm. I don't give two fucks about country music. I, I respect it, but I couldn't tell you one goddamn thing. Mm-hmm. But I just wanted to get in. I right. didn't give a fuck what the job was, what you put I'll, – I'll wipe the fucking – take the trash out. Yeah, at that and point, I'll no walk from the 60-hour uh, a week job – just to intern, like I would have in a heartbeat. I just wanted the opportunity, um, and it worked out. And then I, I don't fucking know. I, I, I what is a what was the distribution job like? Is it a lot of numbers? Um, I did like pop shit. So like, uh, which is like marketing materials that they put in record stores, and like, and then we'd have this these field staff that would go to the records. This is back when this shit kind of mattered. It was such a yeah. different time where you'd put up posters in stores and and have visibility campaigns and think yeah. of marketing campaigns. And because that's back when people were putting poster boards up, and Steve Rifkin was starting like the street team thing and and really being very smart with it. And then uh, uh, at some point. I moved up a couple times of director of merchandising. I don't even fucking remember. Senior director of merchandising. Whatever way I can add on a little bit more loot once a year, they would change right. the title. And then I I saw what uh, Rifkin was doing, and I went into Jim Yuri and Henry Droz, who's like this legendary guy. I think yeah. he's since passed. Amazing guy. Um, and said, we need our own street department uh in this in our in the distribution arm because the distribution worked with all the labels like geffen mca interscope and i said i'll go write a manual and give me a week i think i like i took a little bit of time off and i'll propose it to you guys and if you go for it let me start this department yeah. and i did it and they liked it and i wrote it and boom wait for some perspective for the for the younger kids steve rifkin well he was with what loud he was with loud i, I didn't know steve yeah and it was brother you saw what he was doing and he was yeah. in that with like wu-tang right mm-hmm. and i only know that because of the line steve rifkin must have been sniffing to catch something so dope uh it left monica yeah. lynch's pussy pussy dripping anyway yes. so that's steve yes. rifkin yeah yes. W- was he was like killing it and kind of changing the game with Wu Tang, right? Yes. And and how was he? And doing he started that? a well. He also he he understood how to market to the street. This was really before like the internet stuff. This is yeah. shit that make me sound old as fuck. No, nah, no. Nah. But like it was before all that. So he figured out how to present, how to market to the streets in the way the streets would respect it. Uh-huh. Right. It's like you can't just go into like you know that uh, market to that demographic in a cheesy way or not feel authentic so he, he kinda, figured out how to do it and it worked and it became the platform I and mean, record labels were spending fucking you know two hundred thousand dollars a campaign on fucking poster boards and then the fines to get the poster boards taken down and then put back up yeah and, you know uh so he helped start like the keep it real movement yeah kind of. I, I, a little su- bit? I suppose <laughs> I, I don't know <laughs> that was a big thing at the time was I keeping know. it real so you saw what he was doing and said, "I want to fucking get into that." Yeah, shit. we. I, it was interesting. We didn't have that, and I thought there'd be a cool way to tie that into what we were doing and pick priorities from each label. And uh-huh. they kind of let me and the labels pick the type of artists that that we we would have this street team work and try it out, and it uh-huh. worked. It was it was it was cool. It was what fun. Art, what artists were they at that? Time? Everything from uh, the Cherry Pop and Daddies. Oh shit. To Eminem's first album, yeah. towards the end. The Slim Shady uh, yeah. LP? Yeah. All the Cash Money shit. Oh, okay. 
Um, uh, yeah, cash money. I don't know what else. Shit. Now, remember. when you're when you're um, working in the industry um, on that side. I'm just curious, like, do you have to, like, really get into the music to want to push it? Or is it kind of like you force yourself to yes. do it regardless? Yes. Yeah. And, and maybe this isn't the best attitude, but I, I've I wanted a lot of um, leverage in picking the artists I worked with because inspiration's everything. Like, if I'm not fired up about some shit, then yeah. when I talk about it to the street team kids, and they ain't going to be fired up. Like, I don't want to be working shit that, you know wasn't and but i would learn to look at it with perspective like the cherry pop and daddies wasn't my thing i was just gonna say like so not my thing <laughs> however yeah. there was a lane yeah for a hot second it there was. was a lane so right after swingers came out yes i yeah. had i had to be you know tr- you know I'm tr- i was trying to be more executive like and look at things not just as it was either a matter of being emotionally inspired or excited by the reality that there is a lane that I get to figure out. I love making water boil. Yeah. I fuck with that. Like yeah. I, that's that's my passion. Yeah. So it's not sometimes the passion's about the band and sometimes it's about respecting the band may, even though it may not be my thing and then making the water boil. Right, but seeing like this scene is bubbling and it's Yeah, about to I tip love over. that shit. Yeah, that's like that's culture. Dope. It's like that that's the shit that I've actually been I'm mostly inspired. People that do culture shit, not yeah. The science project shit was always kind of boring. So by that time, had you started building a team? Were you kind of like uh, – Yeah, I think I had like 40 reps 40 across reps? the country. And yeah. you were, like, so you had 40 people under you? Yeah, and wow. we would have conference calls and, and uh, all the time and everyone would get their product and we'd come up with campaigns and think of cool ways to do shit, listening parties and – you know, yeah, all kinds of shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's crazy. Uh, yeah. Where did it go from there? I, I've, I don't do a lot of research for these, but I just know from like hearsay and word on the street that like you had a big role in um, like the Marshall Mathers LP. Well, I went to fifty. Uh, yeah, I take that. Look, I, I, I basically Steve Berman, Steve Berman and Paul Rosenberg. I would consider to be the the two people I have learned and taken the most from yeah. as human beings as executives as people who push when they, they know when to push people who can command respect but you can also have a beer with uh-huh. people who you know uh you know understand what how to play chess in the record business how to you know it's like so i i had formed a relationship with berman because i used to make the hype videos for universal which put all the um uh, the hits from the year together for these fucking terrible conventions that were fucking boring as fuck. Mm-hmm. But I would make these pretty tight videos that yeah. made it seem really fucking sexy, or at least I thought so. Yeah. And then uh, Steve, uh, the, uh, Interscope never had product managers. Um, Tom Wally wanted to start a product manager department. Steve said, Tom, you should talk to Chris. I went and met with Tom at his house. One morning, we, I think I think I ate eggs. I think he had a, a chef that made me eggs, <laughs> and I basic I, I, I for all intents and purposes lied a lot, uh-huh. saying that I could hand, like you know because product management is kind of doing everything within a lay. No, no, well, yeah, you're not is, doing what, everything. What is product management? You're the hub of everything. You're not doing everything. Uh-huh. That's, that's, I don't want to take away anything else other people were doing right. I, but you're you're responsible for having all the information following it through making some decisions or get making sure the decisions get made by those who need to make it like you you are in the the kind of the manager within the label yeah so you're talking to the promo people and making sure they're doing yeah their job. and you you're run meetings and shit which was super scary in the beginning at fucking interscope and this was right after like death row and stuff like that like and they have these ma- mammoth artists and was I, I I I didn't I had to learn so much 
it's it's all the way down to the credits to the fucking CDs and the artwork and the fucking the 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 copyright lines and yeah. all the way up to who's shooting the video and what's the budget and what's the, you know all these things it doesn't mean I was making all those decisions what it means is I I had to be abreast of and be on top of and be the point person for that information yeah um and I used to stay late as fuck and try to learn everything I can. I would try to ask people shit that I didn't understand in a way that didn't make me feel like, I, like they would think I was stupid. And I just fucking sponged and sponged and sponged. And I was fortunate enough to – Marshall Mathers was one of the first records I worked. I also worked a Smash Mouth record. Oh, yeah. Um, and then Marshall Mathers, I think Berman allowed that to happen and that was fucking epic. That's where I met Paul. That's where um, uh, I got to – you know. Paul and I have had a great relationship because I think we, we, we're like-minded in a lot of ways and we would sit and riff and come up with cool ideas and do cool shit and mm-hmm. and have fun with everything and kind of not – we would kind of like – you know, at the end, we would even like go away and like – you know, we'd go someplace far and sit in a room and like strategize and then just go back to the label and say, here, what we're going to do. And Berman trusted enough in us that, that in, in, in what we were doing. And then obviously M made fucking ridiculous music, which made the whole thing you know, without that. None of, no matter right. what the fuck you do works. Right. And, uh, but I, you know, as far as being a huge part of stuff, I was a piece of a puzzle. Um, and, uh, had an you know got involved in Interscope at a fucking amazing time. Did you right? stay at Interscope the whole time you were in the yeah. like in the quote unquote industry or whatever? Yeah, yeah. After U Universal, yeah. Oh, okay. I, I've always heard of like like uh, people in this in the industry like developing these teams and then kind of bouncing from label to label whenever the execs go or something. Yeah, no, fuck that. Yeah. I I I, I, uh, I like to have a a group of like over the time. So I would product manage for a while and then I. They moved me to run the marketing department, and then I and then I would hire the product managers underneath, and then oversee projects in general. And then, how's life feeling at that time? Were, were you amazing? Because yeah. then fifty and and G Unit and Game and Timberland and and Dre and um, uh, I mean, fuck, I mean, you know, fifty. For, for, okay, Marshall Mathers was epic as fuck. So one point seven million the first week. Yeah, so huge. It was great for me in a lot of levels. One, whatever small role I did play, I did get to play. Um, uh, whatever uh, you know, I got. I formed a relationship with people I've 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 never uh, uh, stopped. Well, and the success probably validated your position in the in the. For sure, no, company. it all helped. Yeah. It all, you know, and then fifty and you know, fifty was like a fucking thunderstorm. Man. That it was, was like, crazy, you know, epic, the yeah. perfect story yeah. within the club. So it just if there was nothing else, he had this epic mob like story and in the club. Yeah, I mean, even if that's all he had, he wins, right? Mm-hmm. I I joke. I joke that we did this one poster where it was it was a uh, super this uh this is with my wife now Kelly mm-hmm. where, where we did um this kind of cinematic uh poster he had a he had the Gucci gun strap holder and he's All pointing right. a gun and it looks kind of in 3D and I and I remember joking saying like the story you have in the club and this picture if you do nothing else you're going to sell a bazillion albums because right. it was the coolest shit ever. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It was like a big punch in the face to every – it was awesome. So and how then, closely are you working with the artists at that point? That time, it was my, my wife, uh, Kelly, yeah. uh, who is amazing and epic and uh, 
uh, you know, any success I've ever had, she's kind of been there, uh-huh. right? We were, we've been a team for a long time. Yeah. Um, and uh, Shaw Money XL was was 50s guy back then in the beginning uh, before Lighty came on board. And one of my favorite people on the planet Earth, uh, Shaw's energy was amazing. He got it. He was he was part of the movement. Like it was so great to have someone that understood. When people know, I love artists that know who they are. It's not a fear thing. It's not like, what do I got to do to be famous? What do I got to do? Who, what producer? What hook? What this? That's a business, but that shit bored a fuck out of me. Right. right? But for, for for guys that come in with the confidence and the and that is so inspiring. Like you sit there and riff, and we we used to sit and riff about everything, every move that was made. Like it's not like I was making the decisions, but we would make it as a team. Like right. myself, Shaw, eventually Lighty. Um, or no, actually Lighty came in with Shaw. I don't. It was like a co thing. I don't remember the exact yeah, logistics yeah. of it, but Lighty Shaw, and I was. So I had Chris Lighty, Paul Rosenberg. I was doing Limp Biscuit at the time, which I don't care what anyone fucking says for a moment. They were murdering it. Hey, I, I bleached my hair when I was a senior in high school. Murdering cause, cause it. Fred. Fucking murdering it. <laughs> so I had Jeff Quatnitz and Peter Katzis. I had, uh, you know, I had, I was learning from the best fucking people in the business that yeah. were that were building movements right that was based on culture like when you know like all that like and what m was doing what 50 was doing what game was doing on the west coast you know it was uh uh and bubba sparks random but a fucking amazing guy hey, deliverance you know, is a great album amazing too. album yeah. Yeah. underrated probably sure. misunderstood before his time whatever the yeah. fuck the, the answer is love him i've eaten the eight thousand pounds of steak with that dude in oh, athens yeah. georgia and at balboa on sunset <laughs> the old balboa yeah and, and he practically lived at my house nice um uh yeah my whole thing was the relationship with the artist like i always want it to be I just want to – I was in it for the right reasons. Yeah. So – and I'm a big passion guy. So I, I, I was so fortunate enough to be able to sort of pick and choose who I worked with, sort of. Yeah. Um, and and then build relationships of trust where we can just have fun with all of it because if you're having fun, you win. Correct me if I'm wrong. So it sounds kind of like the music was there and then – after the music's there, you guys collaborate on like how are we going to present this to yeah. the people? That's yeah. what it, that was yeah. what the, the the job was. Yeah, well, and you well, yeah, but, but the marketing side was just like you're in, you're basically in in charge of the budget, yeah. right? Okay, you got you know where we at on you know back. This was a different time. There's a lot more money spent. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. um, music video back then, eight hundred k, eight hundred k, hundred percent, the fucking loop, wow, yeah, all the time, wow. Hype Williams, are you kidding? Yeah, those Shit. are huge videos. Um, and you know, fifty. You know, these they were making the money, so yeah, you know, they got the money. Yeah. So when you say that you and Kelly have been a team for a long time, how did you guys meet? Where did you guys meet? Okay, uh, I apologize, Kelly. Um, <laughs> hmm. I was in my office one day. She was uh, out of college, working in or no, finishing college working part-time in the sales department she walked by my office one day i was on a conference call i said hold the fuck on (laughs) i put that shit on hold i walked out i looked at her and i was like whoa 
and um and I'm not that I was never that dude like yeah. I'm not like like the fucking I'm I, I have my I, I'm not implying that I have any sort of game whatsoever right right but I was like goddamn and then I wound up spending a bunch of time in the sales department I never went to the sales department because <laughs> they got like pie charts and they analyze and shit that I'm not trying to fuck with I'm just I like making water boil at yeah, that point yeah. I'm like I just want to make water boil yeah you guys figure out the number part of it uh, I wound up hanging up there around a lot and then we. Uh, uh, then we actually became really good friends yeah. for a very long time, um, which was probably a catalyst to why we were able to – why we're still together. Like we got to know each other. She knew my shit. She seen me you know, go in and out of relationships. In, 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 she seen me with some dark relationships uh-huh. um, and she, I, I guess, got to really see the real me. So then uh, uh, we're working in the same department. I started to have feelings. I couldn't hide the shit anymore. I was not wasn't the type of dude to hook up with girls in the office like right. at all, and she wasn't the type of dude to hook up with guys in the office. So it was like there was no. It was a unique situation. The feelings were real. I wrote her. A, this is so cheesy. <laughs> I wrote her a note. That's great. No wait. I said we got to go to lunch. I wrote her a note. We got. We went and I sat down and uh, I went to go order food or something. I said read this and, and it was basically along the lines of without giving away, uh, without her getting mad at me. Right. Like you know, let's try a date. Yeah, yeah. If it don't fucking work, fuck it. Yeah. But I, I'm feeling like I, I got feelings and you know I'll be mad at myself if we didn't try. Yeah. And if it doesn't work, so what? We're friends. Who gives a shit? Right. And uh, we went out on a date and. Uh, I probably liked the first date more than she did, I think, by her uh, telling it, which kind of bums me out a little bit. Maybe my first impression wasn't so tight. It was a Bon Jovi concert? No. <laughs> it was Sushi Roku in uh, 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 Santa Monica. Nice. And uh, and I don't know. I mean, it took time. It was yeah. awkward. We worked together. It was this whole thing. I mean, did and, you guys have to keep it under wraps in yes. the office for a while? Yeah. 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 Because you don't, you know, more protective of her. You don't want to be seen as that because she wasn't absolutely, that. She absolutely. wasn't that at all. So right, like, right, right, right. You know, yeah, and also, and and no bullshit, protective of me. I don't want to be the dude, you know, that guy either. Like, I'm. It's just not my thing. I was right. never really the kind of that right. type of dude. So you guys are working in the same department, and we're mm-hmm. we're working on projects together at that point. Yes, nice. She, 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 every big record I worked on at Interscope, Kelly was a part of. She left at some point. So towards the end, no. But every big record, she was as much a part of what I did as anything because oh, no she shit. basically, you know, she she in the beginning especially was the one who actually had to get the shit done yeah you know so yeah. um uh yeah so in the heyday of the stuff at interscope when you're doing the m's and the 50s and the g unit like i would imagine everything's like feeling great you're riding high I'm on life fucking but, amazing but killing it so when does it when does it get to the point where you're like oh this doesn't work for me anymore um uh who i i, I don't after I don't know what year it was, I'm really not the best with timelines. And like not naming names or groups or anything like that that had anything to do with it, but like it just No, I know it. the moment it happened. The truth is that I started to just burn out because of the politics of it all. And again, uh-huh. I have incredible um relationships with people at Interscope, people that I will be friends with for life. Steve Berman's my mentor, Jimmy Ivey's a fucking genius. Yeah. Um obviously. And um I um but I burn out. The business had shifted. You know, Interscope in the beginning. Think about Interscope in the beginning. Marilyn Manson, Eminem. Uh, uh, you know, towards the beginning, yeah. uh, Death Row Records, yeah. no doubt. Right at, at that time, mm-hmm. it's all, everything was culture, and it was in front of. It wasn't chasing; it was in front of, and it was building the, 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 these kind of. And I got to learn and sponge that shit in, like. Interscope Records was affecting culture mm-hmm. in like seven different lanes. Mm-hmm. 
that shit was amazing. Not that they still don't, and they, like I don't. I'm kind of removed from the record business a little bit, ironically. So I don't. I'm not speaking on anything current. Um, but the vibe just started to change. It started to feel more pressure, more fear based, and more like making quarters and more like just shit. I'm not, uh, you know. And what happened was I started to burn out. I had a realization that I was taking a check. And the check was great. You get stuck in those jobs sometimes because the check's great. And if I, if I leave, where's what am I going to do without that check? And I just realized I had burnt out and there was something that I was supposed to do with an artist that I had to talk an artist into. Mm-hmm. In my gut, excuse me, intuition <laughs> felt just not something – it's just not right. It wasn't right. And I had never done it before because I had established kind of trust relationships and I did it. And I hung up the phone and I had like this sort of cheesy movie moment where I got up and I shut my door and I sat down and I said, I'm fucking done. Like I just became the guy I'm, I never want to become. No shit. Um, and basically what happened was it became painfully obvious that I wasn't happy anymore. Uh-huh. Um, were you a workaholic at this time too? Like were you working all crazy hours? Not nonstop. Yeah. I was burnt out. Yeah. Just really burn out because at that much. time there, we didn't have enough product managers, so I was responsible for like there'd be like fucking eighteen records in cycle. So it was yeah. like it's you know trying to be everything to everyone and have all this information in my fucking head. Like I was burnt, I was politically spent, and I wanted to go hike the Himalayas. I say the same fucking thing every time, but like that's I literally wanted to. I wanted to go hang out with monk. I wanted to chill the fuck out. Yeah, because I wanted to regain my love for music. I uh-huh. wanted to re. Because I lost that. Music became a product. Mm-hmm. And that that's a bummer because music was my whole it life. numbers the, instead of notes. It's the one thing that like fucks with me. And yeah. uh, I lost that. And, you know, without, again, sounding cheesy, you kind of lose a piece of yourself. And when I realized that, I was – and they knew I wasn't happy and we kind of went through this thing and there were cuts being made and it was a simple kind of thing and, and no hard feelings and I bounced. Yeah, but it was ten years, so it was an incredible run. I seen the world. I hung out with the fucking biggest stars. I, I my, my favorite, like, fuck, yeah, perfect, yeah. During, Wouldn't change one thing. Yeah, you know? during the fucking peak of the label, mm-hmm. like, so epic. You, so you walk in and just, uh, the next day is it kind of just like okay, I think I'm done. Like or like how did, how did I, it was? It was is a process, but yeah. I, but yeah, it just started that that feelings didn't leave. Yeah. So I just – it became obvious I wasn't happy and yeah. probably was loose with my lips in certain situations uh, and yeah, you yeah. start looking like you don't give a shit and you kind of right. – you know, it's like, a, you know, the ebbs and flows of life. Absolutely. I was, you know. So after you leave, what do you do? How did you reset yourself? Well, I left and kept working for some of the artists that I had been working for except they paid me instead of the label. So I kept working M. I kept working game. I kept like – it's almost like my do- job didn't change because I, I still came in and ran the marketing shit mm-hmm. and still had to run the meetings. But I wasn't working in Interscope, which was kind of cool because now I'm working for the for the really the good guy ultimately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not that Interscope's the bad guy, but in the you know in the hero villain narrative. And um, is it a thing where when you do that and you go freelance, now you're making more money than you were at the label? If you're getting uh, paid directly from the artist, depends. Yeah, depends. Depends on how many artists you're working. But yeah, no, the money was the money was fine. Yeah. Um, uh, and. I don't know. Uh, a friend of mine, Dave, sent me. Uh, I think it was French and Earl mm-hmm. videos, and I was burnout still. I was doing my job. It felt a little better. 
Yeah. But I was still stuck in the system. Mm -hmm. I'm just, I'm on the other side, but I still got to walk in the system and play this game and fucking say the same fucking shit in the same meetings with the 10 check boxes that you got to check because the gatekeepers, it's like boring as fuck. So you never completely escaped it before you found out about OF? Correct. Oh, okay. I had this image of like you actually going to the Himalayas. I did not. I I never made it to the Himalayas. Uh. So you were still in LA doing your thing, and then and then Dave, that's Dave Arudi, Dave Arati, yeah, Arati. So he worked in um, business development at Interscope. He sent me those videos. He's like, check these out, and I thought they were amazing, but I was still so caught up in myself. Um, and you know, but I I knew I hate I always hate when people talk about this type of shit because it always sounds so kind of fucking just lame. But like, it was obvious something cool was happening. Right, I was super busy with them. But at night, I would like, like look shit up, and like you kept digging and digging. It's like you know. Yeah, I remember seeing those videos, and like as you just those two vids, like mm-hmm. you can see all the same faces in them, and then you find their fucking Tumblr, and then you find this other thing, mm-hmm. and, and all of a sudden you're like, whoa, what the fuck? Like these kids have a whole little world going on already, and that a was a whole the, fucking world. That would must have been. I remember it very specifically. It was like March of 2010. For when is when I saw the Earl video, right? right. And uh, yeah, it was. It was mind blowing. I couldn't believe that I was a sixteen year old. Epic. And 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 so we kept digging and, and peeling back the layers of the onion, it kept going. And uh they you know, you realize that not only are they making this kind of this kind of movement thing happen, but they're doing it all themselves and they don't give a fuck what other people think. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was so fucking cool. Like everyone at that time in music was like, I I need this perfect beat. I need this producer. I need like look like this. Wear this leather jacket. Put the Scarface poster above your fucking back. Every rapper, I knew what fucking their their favorite movie was Scarface. Mm -hmm. You knew what kind of cars they had. They had the same chicks in the videos. And the fucking story was boring as fuck because 50 had the sickest one. So everything else was like whatever. All right, you're a gangster. You're this. You're that. It's like – so it needed to either reinvent itself in some way. It was just – it felt like hair metal went back in the day when Nirvana came out. So mm-hmm. it was just this bowl of sh- just soup of just the same shit. Um, and they were interesting. These guys were punk rock. They were fucking – they were fuck you and I was – fuck, I love fuck you, right? So um, like I'm a Rage Against the Machine guy. So yeah. the um, we met with them. And uh, there were other people interested in them at that time. We had a bunch of back and forths. We met various uh, donut shops or wherever the fuck we met. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, they wound up working with us, and the rest was fucking awesome. Do you remember, like, roughly the month that you were meeting with them? Absolutely and I, not. And I asked that because. I always hear all these conspiracy theorists talking about like, oh, no, they've been tied into the industry since like those kids were like 15 and da-da-da-da-da. And like they were – Absolutely not in any way, shape or fucking form. Mm -hmm. These were kids that were literally taking the bus to meet – from all parts of the fucking city, taking the bus to meet – it's some universe shit. Yeah. It's some fucking universe shit. Like the fact that this group of kids got together the way they did – is is uh you know i'm a weird universe guy yeah but yeah i I think that it was not no there was no one was helping shit right i I remember that stuff like it's they're already signed to some label who's kind of bankrolling right right absolutely not yeah yeah the earl video i was like that really hooked me because i'm not old i'm an older hip-hop head and and that was like shit that reminded me of like 1993 all of a sudden i was like well when when we met with them he was uh was about to go away so I had not met Earl. Mm. 
through the whole process until he came home. Really? Yeah. He was a mythical figure to me. Yeah. I, but I felt like I kind of knew him. Now, I didn't, but I felt like I knew the concept of him. Yeah. Which turned out to be some true, some false, but we all create movies in our heads of what we think pe- who people right. are. But, right. um, and you learn along the way. Um, but yeah, it, dude, the best, it's the greatest story when you ever. Meet, when you meet the guys, is it instant, instant click? Do they trust you? Not right away. It's, Hell it's, no. It seems like they don't trust anybody at first, right? No. So how, so you have to earn that. They're, they're not, no. I, I mean, at best we had a good meeting. Yeah. I, I don't think any of them were like, oh my God, that, you know, I, I don't, I don't think you, I'd have to ask them, but I don't yeah. think anyone, you know, but I, I, uh, we chased them, you know, not in a thirsty way because right. I'm not a chaser, um, um, again, if things are supposed to be, they're supposed to be. Right. And, uh, it, it, you know, again, kept digging like, you know, Haji and fucking Damo and Sid, like Sid in the meeting. I'm like, whoa, there's this chick who's the engineer and she's this charismatic, like, like what the, f- this is fucking cool. Yeah, they had man. a lot of puzzle yeah. pieces together. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there were so many, it was like, it just kept going and going and they did everything themselves and they didn't give a fuck. And like, that was, there was no not giving a fuck at that time in music. Right. And what does a kid at 14 through fucking 18 want to hear? Not giving a fuck. Right. Challenging stuff. It's like that's where you find yourself. The on-the-nose thing to do is like people would assume that you would just go into meetings with them and be like, oh, hey, you guys are really cool and I have like this plan for you. And I would imagine like maybe you went counter – like – counterclockwise to that and, and, and like just kind of vibed with them or something like didn't pitch any plans yeah, for no, a while? Yeah, no, I'm like, not, again, for better or worse, it depends on perspective. I'm not a big like, hey, sign here type guy. Um, I, I just, because I, I grew up around that in the business. Like I, I had, I, that's what I was burnt out on the business side right, of stuff. Right. If I want to work with someone, it's because we vibe and there's right. a thing that's of inspiration and there's, and there is a trust. You got to gain trust with these kids. I mean, these, these, a lot of these kids are fatherless. A lot of these kids, like there's a lot of stuff that comes with it. And I didn't want to um, be that – I, I never want to be that guy yeah. or perceived as that guy. I'd rather not sign them than be perceived as that guy. As so, like a salesman. Yeah. No, it was more vibe and we just kept digging and and, and, uh, uh, and it kept getting more interesting and kept talking. And it, it was born out of a relationship and then a decision. It wasn't born out of a pitch. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I mean, I, I probably pitched a little bit, but not, I didn't, I wasn't overdoing it. So when the guys settle on you as a manager, that, then what does the role become? Like, how did you come up with the, I, I look at Odd Future now as like a brand that happens to have some music. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I, I agree. And to me, that's awesome because amazing. I, yeah. I, Incredible I feel, and rare. I mean, the fact that you got like you guys' clothing line isn't isn't fucking band t-shirts. It's like a real fucking clothing line. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so I would imagine that you had to you had you foresaw all that. Yeah, absolutely very strategic. Yeah. Um first it was myself and Dave, and Dave was kind of the business business guy who very, very smart Harvard well, he didn't go to Harvard, he went somewhere else. I, one of them fucking smart schools. Yeah, yeah. Um and um you know, we knew that we had to do something different um, and because they were so different, they didn't care. And it was such an opportunity to kind of, A, first establish trust through the fact that we actually really give a shit and this is fun and let's go fuck with everyone. Let's go have fun. Like let's let's make this be what it can be because just taking them to a major label would have been a fucking disaster. They're not, they, they don't give a fuck about it working with this producer or writing this hook or fuck. They would have said, right. go fuck yourself. Right. It, would, it wouldn't have worked. So it had to be something that they owned. And um, 
the concept was to uh, start their own label, sign them to their own label, and then do the label deal. So they actually own the label they're signed on, and it was just kind of a smart thing. And um, we were going back and forth with various labels, and uh, I don't want to say too much, but like no, there's yeah. a yeah, there's a game you play where you know you want to make it about ego, uh-huh. and when you make it about ego, uh, you, you can get much much better deals because right. someone wants to win. And and it just so happened that Dan- Daniel Smith, who's Elliot. Uh, Wilson's wife and used to be the editor of Billboard magazine ran a story. I think it was the week we were doing – we were starting to narrow down what we were going to do. Uh-huh. And the cover had the guys on the cover and it said the future of the record business. I remember seeing and that. And I'm like, fucking A, this is awesome. That just starts The price just went one. up, right? Yeah, so course. it's like – and it was a great article, and it, and because it was for you know in a lot of ways these guys have changed shit, so it actually has played itself out to some extent, to some extent by the rearranging of what the metrics of success are. Yeah, right? there's a yeah. better margin in the sock than there is in the CD. Yeah, but it's still inspired by the music. So what the fuck's the difference? Right, right. That's what I was gonna say. It seems so scary to put out music for free when you when you're when you've been around making money off of music for so yeah. long i would imagine that has to be a big leap off of a cliff to go like okay let's fucking try this and put all the music out for free and we'll just sell clothes and and t-shirts and shit you yeah know? well I, but also i mean and that was driven by by those guys because they were already doing that brilliantly already i think they had put out probably eight to ten at that point i forget, i don't i again i have my memory yeah but um you know they were training kids not to buy music so you got to be you know it's like for me, with them, it was always about culture, and it wasn't just about culture. It, the, the Odd Future was bigger than the band itself. Odd Future represented kids growing up wholly on the internet with access to an unbelievable amount of information who were tired of seeing what they were seeing. They were looking at us adults going, you guys sit around and bitch about fucking religion and gay marriage and fucking politics. You yeah. f- shut the fuck up. Yeah. And – you know, challenging everything, and and they were so down to challenge the system in every way that we were able to kind of steer and drive, and we had the leverage for multiple reasons because it felt so exciting, and um and and people realized there was a talent, and it was deeper than you know, and everyone wanted to be a part of that. So it kind of, you know, it it panned out in the perfect way, mm-hmm. literally perfect. Mm-hmm. So what is it about Tyler that makes him such a charismatic forefigure for the group? And I ask that because it seems like one of the conspiracy theories about the whole like, oh, they were being uh, courted by labels forever was there's this article about his high school that he was going to. I don't know if you ever saw that. It's like an old L.A. Times thing where they happen to mention this kid, Tyler, who had this whole concept of a magazine. Do, have you seen this article? Yeah, no, true. To me, that just speaks to volumes to the fact that like he was that magnetic even at a young age. Tyler is – um Tyler. Tyler is – Tyler's a fucking – again, a cliche. Stupid. Tyler's a visionary type dude. The reason why he is what he, what he is because of intelligence and awareness and they're mm-hmm. two different things. He's smart in the way he needs to be smart but he's aware, which is actually real intelligence. He's aware. He understands that his environment around him and, and what game he's playing and how he's playing it and he's very, very smart at chess. He's got his own way of doing it, and he knows you lose 30% of people through being offensive or whatever it is. But Tyler is an incredibly smart kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, look, I'm uh, he's he's a kid who doesn't drink or smoke. He's a kid who uh, you know has. I, by the way, I, you know you can't you just about Tyler. Like the truth is, the, the 
the beauty of OF was, was there were the each one was its own character. Tyler is nothing like Left Brain. Left Brain is nothing like Sid. Sid is nothing like Mike. Mike is nothing like Damo. Yet it's a family. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of again like on some universe shit, like this weird collective of kids that you wouldn't think hang out. And usually in hip hop, kind of clicks and all that. You got your one main dude, and he he runs the shit, and you got your people around mm-hmm. um, the weed carriers or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Or, or whatever the rappers you don't really want to listen right, to, exactly. but they wind up getting some sort of album. Right, right. Um, but uh, he's the kid who drew the donut on his shorts in fucking high school and had the vision for a magazine and, and had this idea. And Tyler's the type of guy that sees things into fruition. And again, it's another thing that most people don't understand. They have the capacity to do if they got out of their fucking head a little bit and wrote their own book. But the, uh. the seeing things into fruition, he draws something on a piece of paper and then he sees it in a month, whether it's a shirt or whether it's a video or whether it's whatever or or whether it's a magazine when he yeah. was a kid that he'll probably get around to doing at some point or whatever, you know, or what – he just sees it, and when you see it, you just kind of allow yourself to do it. And my job is to cr- uh, play chess with that because you got to fit that kind of brilliance into a non-brilliant industry, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, who aren't necessarily ready for change, no matter what it is, um, and be willing to challenge things and have fun with that. And I'm a fucking marketing guy, so we we riff all the time. Mm-hmm. But you know, like all the guys, it's like. There's so much to OF when, you know, it's like you have all these kind of factions and the internet, like Sid's a fucking rock star, Mm -hmm. right? You know, they're torn now and, and, and doing very well. And it's, you you can feel that kind of trajectory type thing happening, which is amazing. Um, Tyler's a, he's brilliant. And he's got a heart of gold. Well, and he's a, he sounds, gives a shit. It sounds like he's a finisher too. Like everybody's got ideas, but no one takes the time to actually finish them. He's an, well, and what's amazing about him is he's an incredible pivoter. Like he just, he can have some if something goes wrong mm-hmm. he can fucking pivot dr- he may go he'll go fuck mm-hmm. let it go pivot keep it moving mm-hmm. right as opposed to getting stuck in fuck and then and then again you write in your own book you get stuck in fuck then the next couple months are going to suck yeah right yeah, yeah, but if you sense. pivot and say okay how do i use this as a fu- like, but he seems to naturally know how to weave that and and that's a that's that's intelligence to yeah. me. That's real intelligence. Fuck all the school shit. Right, right. Going back, uh, one thing I found interesting, um, you said one of the things that really turned you on to the industry initially was what you – or like uh, getting into the product management was like seeing what Rifkin did yep. with Wu-Tang. How did you feel when people started like comparing OF to like the new Wu-Tang? They weren't crazy about it because they didn't want to be compared to anyone. It had obviously, nothing to yeah. do with being compared to Wu-Tang as that being a negative. That's obviously a fucking positive. Right. I totally understood it yeah. because it's a collective it of people sense. who have individual personality. Like to not see the correlation is silly. Right. They would get a little rift on it. Again, not against Wu-Tang just yeah. because they, you know, it was like they were them. And they it was were the, the first same way that, Wu-Tang yeah. wouldn't want to have been whoever the fuck was before them. Like if this was reversed, it would be the same thing. So it wasn't negative. It was just like, nah, we're today. Like we represent, you know, kids who have, you know, it, it, it was, it's a different game. Although there's phenomenal similarities. But did a part of you know that you were doing with them what Rifkin did with Wu-Tang? Were you aware, like how how yeah, of the course. tides were shifting? Of course, yeah. and I've studied that shit. Like I, I, you know, and I take what I like and I disregard what I don't. And I, um, you know, I like to sponge. Man, I don't want to learn. I, I, I've get, like I said, I've had the best teachers. I mean, you couldn't assemble a better fucking. I'm a fortunate motherfucker. I got to go to Harvard for the record business, mm-hmm. right? And and the positive and the negative and the bullshit and the real and the, um, so. 
literally. I mean, I went to, I went to a fucking I went to Harvard. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Uh, very very fortunate on that. And and what the, the similarities were 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 obvious. And and even the way it was spreading was obvious. It was in a different way, but you know, word of mouth and like. Odd Future broke, broke like a rock band, mm-hmm. right? And to me, the most important thing for us to do was to fucking tour mm-hmm. because live they were fucking crazy. Mm-hmm. And we didn't need a big production and we can do it for cheap because it was about the personalities and it can feel different. I mean, Tyler could be fucking Iggy Pop, right? Wherever the fuck. And Haji looks like his head's going to explode on stage. There was so much energy and left brain with his fucking being fucking left brain. Mm-hmm. And Damo and Mike and fucking all, you know, all these. And Sid DJ in the beginning was fucking epic right so it's like there was all these incredible personalities take this fucking thing around the world let's get let's get the world to pay attention because this is starting to feel too hypey mm-hmm. and when shit's hypey that means it's gonna die right but if i take this group around the floor not me but if we as a team we take this group around the world and show them how fucking emo- they can emotionally connect with audiences when that 15 minutes happens those fans are gonna say no fuck you they're fucking amazing yeah that's, so that's that was re- kind of scheme strategically trying to because hip-hop doesn't work in every country there's a lot of rappers in the u.s that can't tour fucking oslo norway i mean yeah, you go to play the festivals but they can't go do a show like you know and uh for me i knew i'm not i wasn't sitting on in the club i wasn't sitting on in my name of i wasn't sitting on you know yeah they're they not, were, they don't have hits they have they just have a strong consistent records yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah radio will adapt to them at some point yeah yeah, yeah it'll happen i mean i would give you much kudos because i do think that like you guys have managed to establish a, a lifelong fan base i think these are kids that aren't going to like you know sometimes you get into a band when you're a teenager and then you're embarrassed that you were into that band yeah. i feel like these are guys who like they wrote you guys have Do you written, have one me well limp biscuit's probably one of them yeah <laughs> see i don't hate on limp biscuit but i feel you a lot you know everyone a hundred percent you gotta understand but the, with, the, with the limp damn biscuit, significant other and uh three dollar bill you are th- th- this is a this is a uh a dirty secret of mine but my um junior year of high school my mm-hmm. baseball hat i used to always write lyrics to get me hyped up on the inside of my baseball cap and, mm-hmm. and one of them was a fred durst song i think it was like break shit or something yeah, i wrote yeah, it amazing so you know but uh what I was what I was getting at is that like you guys seem to have ridden the hype machine uh, far enough to now you have a fucking fan base that's going to follow you forever. You know what I mean? Like th- there is no yeah, yeah. Knock on wood. I, I feel like yeah. Again, I, I I feel like the the group is bigger than it. it they represent a tipping point, right? Yeah, if you absolutely without going to as another thing I'm saying too much lately, but it's true. I don't give a fuck what you're talking about. Food, government entertainment in any aspect of entertainment music film whatever um uh retail um of any kind yeah um er all of it's at a tipping point all of it every fucking what we're doing everything is at a fucking tipping point Uh old money versus new money right and the old money's got plenty of it so they spend to do whatever it takes to manipulate to keep the fucking shit from changing because they're making too much cash and they're tired and they want to go to fucking sleep right the young cats are trying to come up and do shit their own way and it's it's a it's hard because you're fighting against a system that doesn't want you to win because it means they have to adjust Uh right even odd future in general odd future if you're still rocking in in a nietzsche velour sweatsuit you don't want odd future to succeed Mm -hmm. because it means you got to flip your cool Mm -hmm. because you're now uncool yeah right yeah, yeah. so there's there, there, so my thing was not my thing our thing and the group's thing was take this fucking thing to the ki- fuck the gatekeepers fuck the fuck all that 
go take this fucking thing that feels so so epic and kind of important and and take it to kids. They'll do it for you. And it's like a rock band. It's how rock bands used to you know get broke. So yeah. that's, they seem to have much more in common with that than they did of any sort of fucking record label bullshit game that you got to go play that once you get in that fucking wheel you can't get out of. Right. No interest in trying to do the radio thing. It's like fuck that. Yeah. I don't give a fuck what the DJ and what bum fuck thinks. Yeah. If he likes it, he plays it. If he does, I don't want him to play it if he don't like it. Right. Right. And you know, so whatever. Winding down, I have a couple more questions. I could t- I could talk about this shit all day, but okay. uh, one of the times that I kind of noticed the like as you talk about the tipping point, the the thing where I really started to see the water bubble for everything was there was it Jimmy Fallon? The was it epic for, epic day? Like, dude, epic oh, well, actually, day. There was two of those right around the same time because he released the uh, the video where he hanged himself at the end. What is yep. that? Uh, Yonkers. Yonkers. Epic. And, then, and then Jimmy Fallon, like epic man. I remember like actually st- like I felt like a fucking little kid. Yeah, like we all did. Like you know, like uh, watching it. I, I, it was the same feeling that I used to get when I would wait we for Wu Tang videos to come on in seventh grade. I stayed up late to like watch the video release. So rare. Those things were like really. I was like, wow, they ha- they're really solidifying themselves. What was it like to watch that from the side of the stage? At fucking Fallon? epic, unbelievable. Yeah perfect moment in time yeah uh, my favorite moment is tyler jumping on his back not because him oh, jumping yeah. on his back but the look in his eyes because tyler has tyler the thing i am most jealous of of tyler is that he's never lost his seven-year-old yeah and you see it in moments yeah. he's never lost he's he's done what we all really want to do we all want to fucking be our seven-year-old for yeah. a decent part of the day it'd be fucking nice right yeah, it's yeah. like he has – and you can see it in his eye. He lives it. He'll show it to you. And that moment, him and Haji murdered it, the most deaf thing at the end. It was like the – it was fucking perfect. Yeah, it was and, so crazy. And all these things kind of kept happening. And you know, and, and the truth is on top of that, on top of all this craziness out of left field, you got fucking Frank Ocean who's like fucking – yeah what the fuck yeah, right yeah, like yeah. on some shit that no one's on and, and doing the same thing in a different kind of you know style you had all these things coming at the same time where it was just you, you couldn't have timed worked it's it's one of the crazy and, and the earl coming home and all these like the, 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 one of the craziest stories in the history of music yeah. i don't give a fuck where you stand if you really break it down and like you know with earl and, and frank and, and tyler and you know, all the guys and what they're doing and the TV shows and this and traveling the world and then Earl coming home and what that means and his friends are fucking famous and he's yeah. what the fuck and like, dude, it's like, the, it's the greatest story ever. Well, that brings me into my, one of my other questions I wanted to ask, like, yeah, Earl gets home and all of his friends are fucking famous mm-hmm. and here's this dude, Chris, that's like helping, helping out and Dave that's helping out. Like how, how does, does he just kind of trust you guys because his friends tell you to, or did, did was it? No, that's process? a whole, that, that's was a, a whole, that's a whole, that was a whole long process. Yeah. Um, and out of respect to those who, uh, it was just a process that needed to happen. Yeah. Um, and I was never about, I mean, I, like, I, I don't. I think the world kind of works things out on its own if you get out of its way. And I feel like, you know, what I do know that Earl had a phenomenal opportunity. You want to talk about a setup. I thought Tony Yayo had a great setup coming out of jail. Yeah. Earl had this phenomenal yeah. worldwide free Earl, you know, which you can look at negatively or positively depending on where you stand. Right. And I understand and respect that. However, from a, um, awareness and anticipation standpoint it's a it's the it's a massive part of his story and 
he came home and was working with some other people for a while. There were some awkward times. And, you know, Earl changed. Earl went to fucking swim with whales and shit. Like, yeah. and he thought and figured life out and figured out what, you know, what he wanted to do. And coming home, you know, how weird is that? Your friends are, you know, excuse my, you know, getting blown and they got money and they got their cool kids. And all of a sudden they were the quirky kids, but yeah. now they're cool and there's a store and there's a, like, what the fuck? Right. right? Like, right. and people are stopping them on the street. And, yeah. So he had to go through his own process of like, you know, that that's heavy. Right. Imagine being 17 years old. I couldn't even imagine. And trying to fucking grasp and then trying to keep up and then like how that affects the group. What Earl coming home does to the group. Do, do Where does he sign? How does he sign? How do we even deal with this? We were all surfing. We all expected him to come right back into the fold. That process took time and it eventually, you know, uh, worked itself out and, and – uh, you know, the truth is him and Tyler are – to me, they make each other better as artists. Yeah. They're completely different. There's a competition, but it's awesome because they're so different. It doesn't matter. It's like Earl's the fucking lyrical rapper and Tyler's fucking Tyler. You right, know what I mean? Like right. they're both the, – and they're so good at each of their lanes. Like and again and, – and, and so yeah, the process of him coming home, when he did that first show in New York, when he came out, I mean m- incredible moments. Yeah, yeah. And his friends hugging him and like – I mean, goddamn, amazing moments. After you meet the guys, like, how long is it before you realize, like, oh, the, these are the guys that are going to rejuvenate my love for music? And, uh, and a month, yeah, a month, that a was month it. in, yeah, because like, because I, mean, I just kept pulling and it kept working, and, and things started to line up, and, and I think we played. I think we as a unit played masterful chess. You know, I'm not yeah. one. That, goddamn right, we played yeah. good chess. We yeah. made smart decisions. Nothing's perfect. The downside is, you know, everything's a malleable. Odd features a malleable thing that's constantly changing. And 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 and. But I feel like um, we made the right decisions to put people in the best situation, and that's constantly changing and will continue to change. But um, uh, yeah, it's. Uh, How long was it until you started calling people and saying, "Hey, I'm this is my new thing, and I'm not working with uh, on anything else currently." Um, a couple months. Yeah. When I realized that there was just so much to do, because at that point, I think the first thing we did was the Lure Squad deal. Oh, that was before. That the, was the first thing before the deal. Yeah, which which was amazing. That's right? crazy because that is another thing that says that the labels go fuck. We need to fuck with these guys. They get a TV show. <laughs> yeah, like, that's crazy. So that yeah, Nick Weidenfeld, um, who worked for Adult Swim, came to was at the same first Odd Future show I was at. Was that Low in Theory? Yes, that was the first time I saw them. Yeah, live. <laughs> That's dope. You know, this is Kev's studio, and I go to fucking low end like every week. And He's I was a good guy, like dude. Guy. Yeah, Kev's great. I was so sad that I was in New York that week, so I missed that first show. Very bummed. He's about been that. a part of it. He's been a part of the the the, the timeline a little bit. Oh, We've no. had some cool moments there. Yeah, I have a great I have a great Twitter thing that I remember where I said I, I, right after I heard the the Earl and shit, and then I saw a video of them uh, getting kicked off stage at a talent show or something, mm-hmm. and I was like, Psh. I was like, oh, Odd Future needs to play at Low End Theory 808, and like. I think Haji and Mike G might have tweeted back like, yo, that's a great idea. And then yeah. I started telling Kev, everybody like, yo, you got to fuck with these kids. Our future, they're so tight. Yeah. I remember the first time hearing Earl getting played at Low End Theory. I think Elvin might have played it, uh, DJ Nobody or somebody. And I was like, oh, shit, these kids are fucking on their way because the crowd went nuts for it, dude. Yeah. Like, yeah. It was, anyways. It was tight. And it was yeah, the first man. time you see their personalities. Like, yeah. You know. No, that's cool, man. It's been a really cool run and I've had a really – I've really enjoyed watching it from the outside because I just think there's a lot of a lot to be soaked in from it, and uh, you guys have been doing really cool shit, man. I will say this: mm-hmm. 
there's a ton of great fucking shit coming and 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 I couldn't be more excited and it's uh I couldn't be more grateful and they're amazing kids I love them it's not always perfect yeah you know you go in it, you you it's it, it is like a family there are ups and downs but uh I wouldn't trade this shit for anything they've they've they saved they saved me from myself that's that awesome, makes man. sense yeah makes not more sense. than my wife and child and dog but outside of that they saved me from myself that's great well, man, I appreciate you coming in and taking time from your cool. busy schedule. Thank Builder. you so much. Cool. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, do you want to like shout out your Twitter or anything? No. All right. <laughs> you can Google him, Christian Clancy. He's yeah, out uh, here. I'm not big. Yeah. yeah. I, don't, I don't really. It's fine. <laughs> I'm going to go through my spiel real quick. It's get, it gets awkward at this point. Go ahead. Do your my, thing. My man. name is Lee. You guys might know me as Intuition. You can follow me on Twitter at It's Intuition. My man behind the boards, Ben Shim, making the shit sound buttery. Big Ben. Ben at I am database space with two S's. You can follow us as a unit at that's kind of neat. YouTube.com slash that's kind of neat where you should subscribe and watch all the videos. Uh, Facebook.com slash kind of neat and uh, download that podcast app and subscribe. Leave five star ratings, comment, do all that good stuff. Tell us who you guys want to see on the show. Uh, but yeah, this was uh, this was my man, Christian Clancy. My name is Lee and that was kind of neat. Sweet. Thanks, man. Ooh. That was fucking awesome. Yeah.